Sunday, September the 25th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Last week, we began this new series based in Psalm uh, 23. And uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of background, to kind of set it up again as we go through these weeks. We are collectively, and perhaps as individuals, conscious that there is a kind of collective trauma that everybody's experiencing. We're experiencing it in our own particular way, but there's a sense in which as a, as a nation, even as a, a global community, we've gone through some things that have left us shaken. COVID is the obvious example of that. And then more recently, the war in Ukraine, uh, now the cost of living crisis, and then on top of that, the death of the Queen. And other events like that have created in our national psyche a sense of trauma. And what we know about trauma is that it's not so much the trauma itself, but it's how we then go on to respond to it. And what we have naturally done as human beings is to try and get away from it as fast as possible. And so we've we've indulged afresh in the things that we think and we hope and we trust will give us relief. So we've been back on holiday and we've redecorated our house and we've planned that particular thing that we were prevented from doing uh, during the pandemic and so on. And yet eventually those things run out of steam And we perhaps realize that individually, corporately, we haven't quite processed our way out of the trauma that we feel. Psalm 23 is the most often quoted psalm by people of faith and those without faith. It's the psalm that will most often be read even at a funeral that's no longer regarded as religious or Christian. And there in the heart of the Old Testament, David, who was a a, a big Old Testament figure, writes these words that are, if you like, God's response to the trauma in our lives. God's response to the anxieties that we face. God's response to the things that uh, weigh us down, the pressure and the stresses and strains that would easily overwhelm us. It's an invitation into a deeper place with him. And through this series, we're taking it line by line. So last week, and uh, the podcast and uh, and so on is all uh, available on the website, burlington.church. Last week, we began taking the first line. Today, we'll look at the second line. And we'll see how an experience, a moment in David's life, illustrates and helps us understand the principle that he's talking about in that particular phrase or sentence. So, for this week, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores, the next bit it says, he restores my soul. If the first pollutant or toxin in our lives was worry... 
The next pollutant or toxin that David addresses here in this psalm is that of busyness. Now I realise that as soon as we talk about being busy, for some of us we're, we're totally tuned into I'm busy. For others of us it's like, well do you know what, I wish I was busy. So I, I totally accept that we need to interpret where we are this morning in our own context. But even if you're in that moment of wishing you were busy and you're not, it illustrates, I think, why busyness, the idea of the identity of being busy, has become so toxic. How are you? What do people say? Well, they might say I'm fine. They also say I'm busy. I'm so busy. How's it going with you? I'm so busy. What's it been like lately? It's been very busy. How's work? Oh, it's so busy. Busyness kind of defines us. We use it as an adjective to define our state of being. I'm busy. I've tried really hard and I fail a lot not to respond with that natural inclination to say, do you know, it's really busy right now. Whether it is or isn't, to to use different words to, to describe what's going on because I don't want to be defined by busyness, perhaps any more than you do, but we've come to wear it as a badge of honour. It's the way that we demonstrate to others that we are living a life worth living. It's the conversational piece of what social media does. Instagram is convincing everybody else that you're living a life worth living. Facebook is the same. It's trying to present something so often, isn't it, that that helps people see the bit of our lives that we want them to see so that they will think, gosh, I wish I had that life because that will in some way make us feel more valued than perhaps we do at the moment. And in conversation, the word busy works like that. I'm so busy equals I'm so important. I'm so worth something. And if you're not busy... You must be dead or something worse. Good grief, what a loser. Not to be busy. But busyness crushes us. Are we more alive, more vibrant, more open and reaching to others in our relationships because we are busy? No. We're more vacant, potentially. We're less in touch with those around us, probably. We're, we're more numb to who we are and what we really think and feel, almost certainly. And COVID reminded us of this in, in very stark terms, didn't it? We saw clearer than we'd seen for a while the things that were most important to us. We discovered that there were other things that we hadn't prioritized that made our lives richer and deeper than just rushing about and ticking things off the never-ending list. But is it really a problem? Is it really a problem? Well, eight questions for you to ponder with me. A little bit of self-reflection. And maybe you're already applying what I'm saying to somebody else. That's the best way, isn't it, of handling a Sunday morning. Just to think of it in terms of somebody else. This is somebody else's. He's talking to somebody else. Well, I probably am. But maybe, just maybe, it could be. Are you too busy? Are you always in a hurry? Are you always in a hurry? It's Sunday afternoon and you've gone for a walk, but you're ten paces above every, ahead of everybody else. Because busyness is an internal state of being, isn't it? 
It's not so much about what's going on around you. It's about what's coming up from with, within us. There you are. Well, well done, Ross. The walk is the event, but we can be in a rush. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We're going to get it done. We're going to get to the end. We're going to get there. And a lazy stroll becomes a project to be completed with maximum efficiency. Now, we might like efficiency, and in certain contexts, efficiency is really good. In that particular context, efficiency is not good. I wonder whether you're always in a hurry. Is it when you walk, you're in a hurry? Is it when you talk, you're in a hurry? Is it when you drive, you're in a hurry? Hmm. I found a home, didn't it? Is it when you're on holiday, you are in a hurry still? And that sense of rush keeps going. Do you find yourself answering, sorry, I haven't got time? For things you wish you had time for. A neighbor asks for help. You really genuinely wish you had time, but you haven't got time. A child is asking you to do that thing that they've asked you repeatedly to do, and you're still saying you haven't got time. Your spouse, a friend, is asking an invitation, and you still have promised to do it, and you still haven't got it done. And it's not just to do with other people, is it? You have a hobby... Something you love that brings you alive. But you've said to yourself for too long, I haven't got time for that. I haven't got time for that. Is your... Thanks, John. It's lovely to see you, John, by the way. So good to have you with us. Lovely to see you. Looking so well. Is it your to-do list that's just too long. Expectation is a killer, isn't it? How many of you still have expectations for a given period of time, a day, that you almost every time never achieve? This is what I want to do today, and you never get it done. Unrealistic expectations. Something about our internal sense of busyness. To use days off to finish work. Do you use times when you should be relaxing to get jobs done? It's not necessarily about paid or unpaid work. There's work for all of us. We all have responsibilities, things that we need to get done, things that we have to do. Do you use the wrong moments, the wrong season of the day or the week to get things uh, done? For me, that can be late nights. It's not so much, uh, uh, it's that time. I could so easily late at night finish something off and then be wired through the night or start something late at night when I suddenly kind of wake up again and wish something had been done. And those times are not for getting work done. Has someone ever told you to slow down? How annoying is that? Honestly. If they got their finger out and did a bit more, you'd be able to slow down, wouldn't you? But instead of getting their finger out and doing a bit more, they tell you to slow down. Do you feel guilty when you relax? I should be doing. I should be. I ought to. I haven't. I must. Ooh. It's the only time you stop when you're sick. And when was the last time you stopped to reflect? When was the last time you stopped to reflect? 
To really think about what's going on in your life. Or stop to think about what's actually happened to you in the day. To process how you felt about that conversation, that moment, that disappointment. To process to receive that time you felt joy and gratitude and blessing and hope. But we've moved on to the next thing and we've lost the joy and the blessing and the, and the hope that was there for us in those moments. And so busyness robs us in so many different ways. Threatens our well-being and our health and so on. But above all else, it threatens what we all know matters the most. And that's our relationships. And that, of course, takes us back to our COVID experience, isn't it? When we knew that at the end of the day, all we really want is to be in good relationship with the people that we know and, and love and, and vice versa. Quite a long time ago now, we did um, one of those, uh, uh, through Lent, one of those focuses like the purpose-driven church and the purpose-driven life. We did one month to live. It was thinking about if this was a month that was all that we had, how would we choose to spend it? How would it readjust our priorities? And the writers of, of that, Chris and Kerry Shook, wrote, When all is said and done, relationships are all that really matter. It doesn't matter how much money we have, where we live, or how many beautiful toys we've collected. None of these can comfort us, console us, cry with us, or love us. Our investment in the people we care about is the only legacy that has the power to endure beyond our lifetime. Life is about relationships, and that's what Jesus said. He said, if you sum the whole thing up, it's this. Love God and love others as you love yourself. All about a relationship. Relationship with God relationship with one another and a right relationship with yourself. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole deal. That's all it is. If we get all of that working well, then we'll be flourishing and singing and full of life and joy and hope. Relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with self. That's all there is to it. But busyness robs us, doesn't it, of those relationships? You know, as a parent, we can easily think with regret, I wish I hadn't been so busy during that season because as I look back, I wanted to be different. Or, or others of us, we, we reach kind of midlife and go, where have all my friends gone? And somehow we kind of lost them a decade ago and have only just noticed. And many of us in church, we long for a deeper, richer walk with God, but in the end, it feels like we just don't have time. How much are we really prepared to sacrifice on this altar of busyness? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. (laughs) I love that. He makes me. Isn't that a really interesting phrase? Phrase. He makes me. In other words, I, I probably can't or won't do it by myself. He makes me lie down. In Greek, he leads me beside quiet waters. So, following our series, we're going to go to that passage that uh, Joseph kindly read to us earlier on to try and make some sense of it. You might want to have it open in front of you. It's 1 Samuel chapter uh, 30. And it's kind of just tucked away at the end of 1 Samuel. And it's easy perhaps to, to gloss over it. It's just another day in the life of King David who knew pressure and busyness. He knew the, the pressure of his work was quite literally a, a question of life and death. 
situation's this. David has been off to battle with his army. And he comes back home to discover that while he and his army were away, the Amalekites have raided their home village and raised it to the ground and taken away their wives and children and taken away uh, all their plunder, taken away all their goods as plunder. And to make things worse, as David comes back and discovers this, the soldiers are, are really angry with him and they, they begin to turn on David and threaten to kill him. Uh, and then I, I love the way it says, and I haven't got this verse for the screen, but I should have really. I love the way it says that David, David paused. What, what, what verse is it where he says he drew strength from the Lord? Just as he comes back and he finds it. Can someone find what verse that is to point everyone else to? So he, he comes back. Verse 6. So he comes back, verse 6, and, and he says, he kind of, he's overwhelmed by what's happened. It's been, the, the rug has totally been pulled from beneath him in, in, in every sense. And it says that he, he drew strength from the Lord and then he inquires of God. He, he takes a pause. One of the most important things in life is the pause that helps us to, to start to breathe God's presence back into our lives, to recenter our lives, to tune back into what God is saying, to reorientate ourselves from the rush and the pressure. That's what David does. And having inquired of the Lord, he sets out in pursuit of those who've brought this destruction and taken uh, his wives or all their wives and children captive. And they, they go uh, in, in pursuit. And as these 600 men go in pursuit, they arrive at the Besor or the Besor Ravine, a little brook, a little kind of oasis, a, a nice place to stop, a service station, if you like, but a nice one along the way where they can rest and be refreshed. And it says this, David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. Think about that for a moment. They're pursuing their wives and their children, and 200 of the 600 men says, we're too tired to bother now. Well, that's what it says. Whatever. We're wasted. We can't, we can't do it. Physically, emotionally, whatever, totally exhausted. So, so what of these men who were too exhausted to hunt for even their own family? Should they be berated or shamed, shunned or ridiculed, discarded as weak and ineffectual? How David treats these men is a real challenge to me. And I wonder, perhaps just together, we need to dig in and see what God is trying to say in these particular verses. So to condense the story, the 400 men go off, leaving the 200 men behind. And with the help of an Egyptian informer, David leads them in a surprise attack against the Amalekites who are defeated and their wives and children and all the plunder are led back to freedom. So it's a great result. They're all on their way home. So they get back to the Besor Ravine. How would you feel towards the 200 soldiers who couldn't be bothered to go? You'd fought from dawn to dusk. They'd paddled and cooled their feet in the stream. You'd given all that you had. They simply rested and enjoyed the day. 
Not surprisingly, many of the men who fought are angry. Look at what it says. Angry. Because they did not go out with us, verse 22, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. It's their tough luck. They're out of the loop now. They've made their bed, so they will have to lie in it. That's a grace-filled phrase, isn't it? Full of heart, that one, don't you think? But David's response and reply is so different. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord, the Lord has given us. He has protected us and handed over to us the forces that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All shall share alike. Look how David reframes it. All, excuse me, the share of the man who stayed with the supplies. What? Stayed with the supplies? They didn't stay with the supplies. They were just exhausted and couldn't be bothered going on. What does David's attitude say to us? That somehow, even though the battle raged, even though there was still the fight to be had, David honoured the rest of these men. They could rest a while, even though the job was not finished, because it was the Lord himself who would ultimately be the protector and the provider. Now that's an interesting twist on things, don't you think? That somehow as we put our trust in the Lord to provide and to protect, we can all at different stages be released into the rest that we need, even when the job isn't done. You see, from time to time, we all need a beast or ravine. We all need that place of rest. And here maybe David's capturing something that centuries later Jesus would say, for when Jesus was at the height of his ministry and people were being taught and healed and the crowds were gathering around and more was happening than you might ever have imagined and you think, now's not the time to give up Jesus, keep going Jesus. What did Jesus say at the height of it all? He said, come away with me. When it was going brilliantly well, when they were still in the thick of it, when the job was clearly unfinished, Jesus said, let's come away and get some rest. Let's come away and get some rest. The life of God invites us into this rhythm of engagement and rest, of abiding, as Jesus would say, and fruitfulness in John chapter 15. Could it be that there's a trust in God that we are invited to share that enables us to rest even when the work isn't done? David's son Solomon cautions us to think of life only in terms of simply getting it done. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat for he grants sleep to those he loves. My grandfather would often say, if you burn the candle at both ends, you're not as bright as you think. Not as bright as you think. And sometimes perhaps the most spiritual thing that we can do is just get some rest. 
recenter ourselves, reconstruct ourselves, allow our tensed up, overwhelmed body, mind and soul to be at ease. I can remember after a really busy period. Busy because arguably I was too lazy to control my own diary. I was too lazy to control other people's expectations. Crawling into bed just one afternoon. Knowing that I'd got to that point when there was just nothing left. We all need a Besaw Ravine sometimes. And that's okay. So rest is the shepherd's gift. And he's glad when we take it. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who's driving us then? Who, where's the driver to be busy? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's easy, isn't it, to think that God is the driver, that God is the one demanding and increasing the demands all of the time. That's not what this says. That's not what Jesus says. And interestingly, it's not how Jesus lived. If these words can be believed, Jesus will slow us down. If these words are true, Jesus will make our lives calmer, sharper, fuller, richer. But sometimes if you look at our Christian living, it's about effort and more and keeping on going and so on. Now there's a place for all of that. But hear the invitation from Jesus. Hear the invitation from Jesus. Rest has been built into the fabric of the way that we have been made. Six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. The seasons, the day and night, everything about the way the world has been made is not about keeping going, keeping going, keeping going, keeping going. The seasons are a reminder of that, aren't they? The trouble with us in our seasons is that we just switch the light on and turn the heating up and carry on anyway. But when we couldn't switch the light on, There would have been seasons when we'd rested for a lot longer in a given day because you simply couldn't do anything because it was dark. That you'd rest a lot longer because you simply couldn't get out and do because you were cold and so on and so forth. So how do we lean back into this gift of rest? Firstly, know your worth. You see, the issue about busyness is an internal thing primarily. It is, of course, we like to think all the other things that people make us do. And there is some truth in that, of course, and we'll come to that. But firstly, it's about an internal thing, isn't it? An internal reality. We confuse our work with our worth. If we work a lot and achieve a lot, then we must be worth a lot. It's one of the reasons that we ask people very early on in conversations, what do you do? And we're not so much interested in what they do, but we're interested in who they are. And we think that we access who they are through what they do. And we make some judgments accordingly. And it's only a small step then to conclude that if I do a bit more, then I will be worth a bit more. Does that make sense? If I only do a bit more then I will be worth a bit more. And I don't feel I'm worth very much, so I'll do a bit more. (laughs) And then, of course, if I've done a bit more, if I do a bit more again, I'll feel worth. And so the noose of busyness tightens around us. I remember, God bless him, Mr. Hendrickson, 
who was our chemistry teacher. I did maths, physics, and chemistry for A-level. And early on in A-level, he basically took me aside and said, you're not going to make it, mate. I don't know what he thought he was doing, but that gave me a drivenness that I hadn't had until he said that. And for a short period of time, that drivenness worked really well for me. And you can ask me after about chemistry. (laughs) But the trouble is, sometimes that short-term drivenness, we live with that in our heads all the time, don't we? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, you keep, you keep that sense of, I've got to prove something to somebody else. I've got to prove something. I've got to prove something. And the more I do, I'm not quite sure that I've proved it yet to them or even to myself. And so I keep on going. <laughs> and God says, look, you're precious and honored. And I love you. You've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to prove. The second internal thing is about a sense of contentment, isn't it? Being content with where we are and what we've got and what we have, that helps us to to rest. We're bombarded with messages, aren't we, about needing more. Keeping up with the Joneses, which was really tough where I came from in Wales. There was so much to keep up with. But we need to foster just a sense of gratitude, don't we? A sense of appreciation for what we have, and that comes with gratitude. And one of the things I've been learning about gratitude that I found really helpful... Is that, you know, we, we, we make the list of things that we're thankful for. We might have thankful January and we'll make a list of, and we'll say something we're thankful for every day. That's a brilliant thing to do. It's a brilliant thing to do not just in January, but every day. But one of the things that I've, I, I've discovered and I've been trying to, to put into practice in my own life is to, is to lean into the emotion, the feeling of the gratitude. Does that make sense? So instead of it just being a head thing with a list, I'm grateful for, Think about the feeling that that creates, the appreciation that I have for that thing, and allow that emotion, that feeling to live in your, in your being, in your heart. Maybe try that this week. Take something each day that you're grateful for and spend five minutes, it'll feel like forever as you learn to do it, spend five minutes trying to lean into the feeling, feel, feel that sense of gratitude, that sense of appreciation. And then there are the external things, aren't there? And I'm just going to wrap up with these. We need to limit. We need to limit. Sometimes we just need to say no, don't we? And I know that's really difficult. All kinds of competing pressures on our lives. This verse from Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's a lovely paraphrase. It says, a fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. Uh, it's been paraphrased. Only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with his work. And there's something about, about limiting our lives in such a way that we have something left when we get home. If we win away but lose at home, I wonder whether we've ever won at all. What do we need to limit to make sure we have what we need in the spaces that we need them? The Sabbath is part of that, isn't it, of course? And we did a few uh, mornings on the Sabbath earlier on this year. In Feasting February series, if you want to uh, find that out, there's a whole morning on the Sabbath that's worth uh, reflecting on. We need, fourthly, to make choices based on our values, don't we? To put the important things in first and, and so on and so forth. And lastly, we need to discover God's pace, God's rhythm for our lives. Following the shepherd may not be the pressure and the rush that we've come to think of as the Christian life. 
Could that be so? Maybe slowing down is the new fast. Maybe taking a break is the new success. Let's pray. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest at intervals. He provides me with images of stillness to restore my serenity. He leads me in the way of efficiency to calmness of mind, and his guidance is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish this day, I will not fret, for his presence is here. His timelessness, his all-importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity, anointing my head with the oil of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness shall be the fruits of my hours, for I shall walk in the pace of my Lord and dwell in his heaven forever. What's God saying to you today?